Thanks for downloading show 45 of the C-Suite podcast recorded in partnership with the B2B creative agency MOI as they've kindly invited us to their latest Disrupt Forum which is taking place here at the Soho Hotel in London. My name is Russell Goldsmith and I'm going to be talking to the four panel members who are speaking in the forum a little later this evening on the topic of building a modern marketing organisation of the future. So that's what I'll be quizzing them about now. Uh, the team at MOI have pulled together a great lineup of guests for tonight's event and so later in the show I'll be speaking with Gemma Davis, marketing director of Aptus, Scott Allen, who is the CMO at Microsoft, and Julia Porter, a business advisor who is past chair but still sits on the board of the Direct Marketing Association. We'll also be joined by Joel Harrison, editor of B2B Marketing, who is uh, facilitating tonight's panel. Plus, we'll hear from MOI's MD, Matt Stevens, who I spoke to earlier today. So a real packed show. But to kick things off, I'm delighted to welcome Lorraine Graves, who is head of marketing for cloud infrastructure services at Capgemini. Uh, Lorraine, before we chat about the subject in hand, can you quickly tell us a little bit about cloud infrastructure services, um, the audiences that you're trying to reach and the marketing you have in place to achieve it? Yes. Hi, Russell. Hi. Good to be here. Um, cloud infrastructure services at Capgemini is uh, one of three core business units that make up the Capgemini organization. Uh, typically, we work with large uh, businesses across both public and private sector. So organizations such as uh, HMRC, Heathrow Airport, Rolls-Royce, and large banks and uh, the retail sector. The audience that we uh, target is very much around those key decision makers and influencers, the CIO, the CTO, COO. And our focus is really about delivering the right business outcomes. Uh, we use a full range of marketing activities uh, to deliver those outcomes. And so it can range from account-based marketing, demand generation campaigns, relationship marketing, events and, and, and thought leadership. So plenty of activity going on there and you, you've got all those C's covered in the C-suite, so oh, yeah. ho hopefully an appropriate podcast. Um, but what's, what's the resource that you've got in, in place to deliver all that? Capgemini, we're, we're very much a matrix organisation. So we'll pull in expertise from specialist teams such as um, uh, our offshore design team, campaign management, digital, bid marketing. So we pull together the right resources to, to, to deal with the business requirement. So I guess that leads nicely onto the theme of the podcast uh, as what you're looking to achieve here is building a culture that ensures everyone in the company is involved in the marketing function. Would that be right? I, I guess we're talking agile marketing here. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right, Russell. I mean, agile marketing is a, a culture and a mindset that puts the customer first. Um, the agile manifesto focuses on individuals and interactions over processes and tools. As you're probably aware, agile was first used as a phrase in, in 2001 and originated in software development. And it very much describes a culture and a mindset where the requirements and the solutions evolve plans, plans are flexible, customer input is clearly key, and, and importantly, the work is tested early and teams adopt a, a continuous improvement mindset. So um, as a result, you know, we, we adopt those principles of um, agile, uh, you know, within the marketing function. And, and we very much sort of extend the message to everyone who joins the business um, uh, because at the end of the day, they are a, a brand ambassador. Everyone has a pro role to play as, as uh, Capgemini's people are essentially Capgemini's brand. So, so in, that, in that respect, how much of your role is focused on internal comms? Because um, you've got obviously, what, with 9,000 staff in the UK, uh, 190,000 globally. Uh, 
you've got quite an advantage there if you can turn everyone into an ambassador for the business, I guess. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, clearly we work very closely within internal comms. So the intranet is a, is a key channel for us. We also use uh, Yammer. It's all about working together, getting everybody involved and keeping the message fresh and relevant uh, so that people do want to engage and, uh, you know, support through particularly through social media. Sure. So with everyone playing a part in the marketing then, how, how do you ensure that everyone understands both the marketing and the business success metrics and how they are personally contributing to it? Because that, I guess that gets quite difficult then when you're talking about, you know, everyone in the business. Yeah, I mean, you know, clearly uh, we've got... Um, teams with lots of different skills they work across a wide range of industry sectors so uh, the the most successful thing that we've found is success stories so it, it's a great way to bring um, a delivery to life you know both marketing and business successes so we often share um, details of how a piece of business was won the highs and lows and most importantly what lessons were learned uh, because Every opportunity, every success is, is is different. So, again, it helps maintain uh, the profile of what's being done and keeps people, um, you know, informed. So, to finish off, then, and, and I'm going to be asking the same thing of all my guests uh, tonight, but you get the first go on this. If you had just one bit of advice to give those listeners looking to transform their business into a modern marketing organisation, what what would that be then? Well, um, it's a really topical question for us because we've got an internal comms campaign running at the moment with the strap line it starts with me so we're really much very much asking people to take ownership because it does it starts with the individual so um that's that would be my message brilliant lorraine graves of cap gemini thanks for joining the show we're back after this quick break to chat with scott allen of microsoft and Gemma davis of aptus MOI is a global B2B creative agency, connecting you with a new breed of buyer. We believe that business buyers are changing the business process faster than marketing and sales organizations can adapt. And in B2B, that can't be truer. The industry needs to move to an agile model of insight-driven, real-time marketing. If you share our vision and want to join the discussion on modern marketing, come and talk to us. For details, visit moi-global.com. Power to the modern B2B buyer. Welcome back to the C-Suite podcast here at the MOI Disrupt Forum with me, Russell Goldsmith, and joining me now are two more of tonight's panel members, Scott Allen, CMO of Microsoft UK, and Gemma Davis, Marketing Director of Aptus. Now, I think we can safely assume our listeners will know a little bit about uh, the company you work for, Scott, but Gemma, it might be fair to say that your business is a little more niche, so perhaps you could uh, give us a quick introduction to Aptus. Absolutely. So, um, Aptus is ultimately the category-defining quote-to-cash and contract management cycle technology company. So, we ultimately are responsible for driving vital business processes between a buyer's interest and the realisation of revenue. So, it's kind of utilising a combination of uh, SaaS-based applications, so configure price quote, contract management, billing solutions, etc. And ultimately, the big thing for us is about maximising revenue and those business outcomes for companies of all sizes. So, for instance, we work with... Um, um, over 100 of the Fortune 500 organisations. Excellent. Nicely explained. Um, what about the, the marketing team that you've got in place there? How is that structured? Yeah, very good question. So we have um, a global marketing team. So our HQ team is based in San Mateo. Um, and then here in terms of an international marketing function, we have three based in EMEA, uh, one marketer in APAC and one in India. Um, we also have quite a unique role in terms of because we're so sales orientated as a team, our business development function also rolls into our marketing team. So we also have uh, local business development reps that roll into kind of EMEA and, and our other regions 
questions as well to Excellent. really drive those defining outcomes. Okay. Um, Scott, let's bring you into the chat here. I guess you've got a much larger team to work with, but I assume that doesn't make um, you know the challenges any less demanding in terms of juggling the right skill sets within that. No, I'm responsible in the UK for consumer marketing and commercial marketing, but also the delivery of the marketing within that. So I own all the digital engines that we have and also events as well, whether that's online or in person. And actually, I've changed a lot how I hire over the last sort of five years or so. And I like to sort of talk about the team being now part scientist and part creative. And um, what I mean by that is that you would have normally hired Marcom's professionals that are great around content marketing, understand digital in terms of, of websites and other digital platforms, good at social, social engagement, social media, social listening, and obviously great at delivering local experiences, events essentially. But what I've now had to do as we move into more modern marketing is think about the part scientist bit. And that's everyone thinking about how they're more financial analysts, how they're more technically proficient, do they understand data, do they understand how to analyze data, and more importantly, start to use data to make forward-making decisions. So I talked a lot about my team in meetings of look 10% backwards and 90% forwards because if you use data in the right way you can absolutely um, deliver marketing that, that can be better than the competition but also just make you better as marketers as well. Interesting you, and, and you've brought that nicely back into what the, the theme of the, uh, the night is about building a, a modern marketing organization but would it be fair to say that both your organizations are more sales led and, and if that is the case where does the process start in terms of shifting that, that focus to marketing or, or doesn't it? Gemma, let's, let's come to you first. I think uh, everything in terms of what we do as a marketing function uh, has to start with the business outcome. So ultimately it's where is our business going? What are the business drivers? And, and ultimately what's the, the number that we're aiming to work towards and, and the customer outcomes that we need to deliver? Um, bring that then back into our marketing function by understanding those, we can make sure that we have the right performing team with the right skill sets. So I guess where um, my challenge is slightly different from Scott's is we have a, a far smaller and more kind of nimble team locally uh, in our international markets because we have individuals that are covering multiple roles so actually we have less of the specialists locally we have more generalists who have an awesome opportunity to really kind of maximize uh, their learning and development find opportunities to expand and test new things but also get to understand their own strengths and and drive their own kind of career development plans based on some of the opportunities that the business drives yeah i would say that pretty much all organizations have a sales-led focus about them, but actually we're all salespeople at the end of the day. What I found yeah, with, with marketing departments and certainly my marketing team is, we're asked to go and see customers and be part of customer discussions a lot more now. So we're not just there to, to carry the bags, we're actually there to add value and actually often open doors to particular roles within customers that maybe our sales teams don't always uh, get in front of or don't always have the right conversation to have because they've not been in marketing before or, or something like that so actually what I find is we have to think about customer first which means we're salespeople and then we try to make sure that we're embedded into the sales rhythm we call it the rhythm of the business but it's no good inviting sales to come to marketing meetings you've got to go and be part of the sales rhythm so whether that's all hands meetings they're running face to faces go sit with them you get a better relationship, you understand what they are doing, what they need to achieve, more importantly, what our customers do, and then that allows you to be a much better marketeer. So this all leads nicely onto a question I wanted to ask you, which is about the kind of culture you, you've got across your organizations and whether or not you feel it's being driven by the way you are leading the marketing there. Um, Scott, let's, let's go with you first on that one. Yeah, I think the way that 
I tend to look at it is everything has to start, if possible, right up the top with your mission statement. So if you're bought into what your mission statement is, and I really am within Microsoft, our mission statement is to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. Now, at a high level, you think, well, that's quite a bold statement. But actually, as you start to drill down, it connects all the way down to culture because underneath there, there will be your strategy. So, you know, what are you trying to achieve? What is that strategy? What ambitions do you have to achieve that strategy? And then I talk as a leader a lot about creating, creating clarity, generating energy, and setting the team up for success. So they're the sort of three pillars that we go under. And then underneath that, I'm looking at building the culture of a CMO team that people want to be part of. And within the UK, I've got five distinct programs that I'm running. So one is around customer obsession. And what we mean by that is just understanding our customers a lot more. So we do things like storytelling days. We put posters up for customers so people are aware of what the customers are up to. We invite customers to come along to our team meetings and just really get under the skin of what the customer is thinking, what are their themes, so we start with that, not starting with the product. I'm running other programs such as, we call it growth mindset. With us, that's actually focusing about getting time back. So my guys often say, I've got a lot of uh, things to do. I don't have time to, to think. I don't have time to do sort of other things that, that would help me do my job better. So we're encouraging the team to put what we call in GMT time in the diary, which is growth mindset time. And that's put an hour in your diary once a week, twice a week, as many times as you want. It's, it's not for us to define and do whatever you want. Go for a run, stay in bed, think whatever it is you want to do, go collaborate down in the canteen. But it's about not doing your day job, thinking about some of the things you want to go forward on. So that's really, really important to me around growth mindset. And then the other, the other three are around being diverse and inclusive. So keeping the team diverse and inclusive. And, and that can mean a number of things. It's not just about mix of males and females within the team. It's also about skill sets, mindsets, and also quite a lot around introverts and extroverts. I don't want a team full of extroverts or introverts. It's good to have a mix of but then think about the environment you have that works for an introvert and an extrovert because both of them are a really good skill set and a really good mindset to have in the organization. And then the last bit is about making a difference. So bringing back to the team some of their personal passions. So a lot of ours is based around charities. So charity work that we can do as a team to support certain charities. We've been doing a lot for, for cancer recently. Unfortunately, one of our, one of our key team members uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer and we've been doing a lot of work and a lot of activities like Tough Mudders, etc., as a team to raise money. We supported the Special Olympics uh, a, a few months ago and the team got behind that as well. So whatever passions the team have, we tend to then say, right, let's get behind that as one team. And that brings a, a more one Microsoft piece around it. And then finally, look beyond the marketing department. If you look at other resources across the business, they can be marketeers for you as well. Don't just look in and marketing can solve everything because actually if you get sales involved or finance or HR or whoever else, we, that would really help you in terms of delivering a much more effective marketing campaign. G Gemma, you're nodding away there. Do you want yeah, to so answer that? It's great to hear that we are actually so closely aligned and, and have a very similar approach. So we have a, a whole culture and mentality internally around one team. Um, everything that we do in terms of our, our missions, our strategy, our kind of uh, go-to-market values and everything that we embody for our customers really focuses on this one team thing. So I have a big initiative internally um, where uh, I really see every single individual within our organization as a marketer. We all have a responsibility to represent our business, to represent the best for our customers and to really focus on, on driving the best innovation and growth. And for me, I think it's so interesting now to see marketers 
marketers taking ownership of this cultural piece. Um, what traditionally may have been a HR initiative is now coming back round to be a marketing initiative. Yeah. I think some of that is because we tend to be great storytellers. We are responsible for taking our customers and our prospects on a journey. So why shouldn't we also be responsible for our employees' journey? Um, and this is just fundamentally enabling us to be at the heart of the business. So I, I don't hear so often now, but about marketing being the coloring department, but we are absolutely not anymore. We are fundamentally at that table, driving that strategy, driving the business culture, yeah. and essentially taking the business uh, on the, the route to success. Yeah, all I would add to that is that we don't talk about culture per se, we just embed that into the organization. So by running some of the programs that I, I talked about, that culture naturally will embed into the team, but also it links to the other cultural stuff that other teams are doing. So it's not like my team is doing one set of cultural activities and it doesn't relate to what the sales team are doing as well. And that's that bit about it going all the way up to your mission statement. If you can if you can take what your CEO is saying and the vision that, that, that he's got, and, and I absolutely believe in Satya Nadella's vision, and then bring it down to your team, they can start relating of how they can make a difference right up to the, the top level of the yeah, organization, yeah. which I think is really important. Otherwise, you end up doing your day job and not really knowing why you're doing it or what you're achieving that is going to make the business grow and be successful. Yeah, I just want to pick up on something that you just mentioned, Gemma, in terms of ownership. Because what I wanted to ask you was who who you would think or, or who you would say has the ultimate accountability for making change happen? I'd say every single individual in the business. Right. Every person is a leader in their own right. I don't think you have to be promoted into a leadership role or given a title to, to be driving that. Um, we're incredibly lucky that our founder and, and CEO um, is a brilliant leader. He's an, uh, an amazing storyteller and, and really works hard to take our business on that journey and make sure that every employee is, is part of that. So from the point of onboarding, every employee is welcomed at his home and is embedded kind of into the Aptus family. Um, we share everything from the top down and have a very open and transparent organization and I think that gives everyone in the business an opportunity to really contribute towards the development we're going in but for marketing um, he's a true advocate for us and ensures that we do have that seat at the table and that um, we are there involved in those decisions which gives us all a great opportunity to continue our career development and really influence what we're trying to do for other business. And I do agree everyone is responsible, but I suppose there's always some individuals where their seat needs to be slightly further forward to, to give that guidance and that leadership. And I've got a, a fantastic boss, a COO here in the UK, who is massively into, into culture and teams and people, young talent, et cetera, et cetera. And that really then resonates with me and, and drives me to want to try and drive the culture that I am within the team. I would say as well, though, that always you don't have to leave from the front. I talk a lot about leading from the front, the middle and the back. And that actually means when I lead from the back, that means I'm just part of a, a, a team that might be led by one of the, the more junior members of the team, but they're super smart, they can, they can lead, and then you're part of that team and you can advise. So it's not always, if you think the ideas are gonna come from me all the time, that's not gonna happen either. Mm -hmm. But I do think that some of the more senior individuals within the organization, such as my boss and uh, my, my boss's boss, are really important to help shape that culture and um, then inspire people like us to, to, to carry it on for the rest of the teams. Okay, so, so we've talked about teams and culture. Let, let's look at some of the work you're actually doing with your colleagues then. Can you share some insight into how a particular campaign has come about and how you then measure its results? Gemma, let's, let's start with you on this one. 
Yeah, so I think if we're coming back to as well about building the organisation and, and bringing teams together, I think uh, great examples of initiatives we're running are often driven in our industry by either regulation or change for our, our prospects or our customers. And actually it's about bringing individuals within the team together. So although our, our marketing function may be responsible for leading those initiatives and change, there are a number of other teams and functions that were involved in that, product managers, industry specialists, etc. Um, for me, it's about bringing those insights that level of intelligence and creativity together. Um, I'm incredibly lucky that I'm surrounded by individuals who inspire me every day and, and wow me with their their knowledge and, and what they know about the industry and our customers and so on. And that's where we really see kind of those results coming. So for me, by enabling wider people within the business, we've seen our campaign, so email results, etc., triple within a couple of weeks. And that's just from being more targeted, from taking advice from industry experts, from collaborating within our organization um, it's driven far better pipeline uh, and ultimately it's delivering the better results for us overall but that is absolutely about uh, understanding that we're all moving in the same direction so having very clear kind of KPIs from the top down and, and from the bottom up uh, and making sure that we're all working on the same pathway I'd say from from my experience one one campaign that really uh, is in my mindset is Future the Code, which is our, our biggest event we do of the year. Um, it, we're going to enter our fourth one on the on the 30th of October this year. Future the Code is a is a two day event in London. It attracts around 11,000 people. Day one is is has been predominantly focused on our business audience. Day two on our technical audience. And this year actually we're going to do something different and bring the two audiences together over the two days. As you see, technology and business getting much more closely aligned. What I love about Future the Coded is whilst it's a marketing-led event and, and my team work incredibly hard with, with great expertise to deliver it, it becomes a one Microsoft event. There's, a, there's an army of people that have to get involved in ensuring its success, whether that's content we need to create, whether that's experiences we're delivering there, whether that's just the infrastructure, whether that's uh, speaking on stage, um, all those things have to come together from lots of people within the organization. And by bringing all of those smart-minded people together, all working together, we've delivered three really, really successful Future the Coders that has had great feedback from customers and from partners as well. It's a really good opportunity, not just to deliver new opportunities, but also to change the mindset of our customers of where Microsoft is going and the sort of innovation we're driving and how we really are aligning to the mission statement that I talked about earlier. I'll, I'll give you a free chance to, uh, to plug where's this year's going to be. So it's futuredecoded.com and it's taking place at the Excel Centre on the 31st of October and the 1st of November. So we haven't put registration out yet, but that will be coming very soon. As soon as it comes out on futuredecoded.com, then I'd really encourage you to sign up. It is a fantastic two days. You don't have to come for both days, but definitely come for one of them. And there's going to be lots of uh, exciting things happening and really great speakers. Excellent. Now I feel obliged to give Gemma a, a free plug now, seeing as I've, I've let Scott do that. So I think one of the, the things that we do that's a real game changer and, and uh, an industry driver for us is our own uh, Aptus Accelerate event. It's the quote to cash event of the year that happens uh, in May. We host it in San Francisco. We had over 3,500 attendees this year, um, again, from multiple industries. But one of the, the key things about it really is bringing our partners, it's bringing experts and bringing different members of our teams together to essentially uh, change and shape the way that our industry is moving forward and essentially uh, fundamentally define uh, these 
key business processes that are driving these outcomes. Uh, it's the fourth year we've done it. Again, it continues to be a massive success. And the key points that, that Scott pointed out, we see exactly the same results and it's absolutely fundamental to our business. Um, we haven't confirmed the date for the next one, but stay plugged. If you want more information, aptus.com or good. reach out on LinkedIn. There you go. Okay, so I've been fair to both of you now. Um, so final question, um, and I asked this to Lorraine earlier, so and I'm going to put it to uh, Juliet too, but if you had um, just one bit of advice uh, for someone looking to transform their business into modern marketing organization, what would it be? And it's one piece of advice. I'll come to you first, Scott. So very top level, but I have to do things in free. So the bit of advice is always be yourself. Um, and what I mean by that for modern marketing is modern marketing can be very complex and it can it can be a, a big, worldly thing. So try and break up what you really need to achieve now and try and do it in constituent parts that will add up to the whole. So that's the first bit. So do that. Do that in their constituent parts rather than trying to do it all in one hit because you'll, you'll no doubt fail. The second bit is have a look at what other organizations are doing, but don't necessarily copy them because everyone is different. But there is some really good modern marketing uh, evolution going on out there and you can learn from others. And then finally, which I think is really important, is take your leadership team along with you on the journey. So if you want to try and drive modern marketing and you want to implement new MarkTech strategies and, and stuff that might not demonstrate initial ROI, take your leadership team along of why you're trying to do that, what you're trying to achieve, because that will help you get the things done that you really need to. I don't know about marketing. That was You'd be very good at PR because you spun that very well. That was not one piece of advice. That was definitely three. It was definitely three, but I have to work in threes. So I'm really sorry. <laughs> Gemma, uh, last word with you. So my one piece of advice ultimately would come back to that focusing on the business outcome. So understanding the direction in which the business is going and having a clear responsibility and accountability for what the marketing function needs to deliver. From that point, you can then assess your current team skills. So understand the strengths within the team, understand the kind of development plans, where people want to focus their attention, what they enjoy working on, marry those two up, identify those gaps, and then find ways to fill them, whether that be through training, recruitment, agency support, etc. but know where your weaknesses are. Very good. I think that was one piece of advice. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Excellent. This has been great. Uh, Gemma Davis and Scott Allen, thanks for joining the show. Um, now, before I speak with my final guests, uh, Julia Porter and Joel Harrison, earlier today I caught up with MOI's MD Matt Stevens uh, over Skype as he's currently in Singapore and therefore couldn't be here tonight. But I started by asking him why he decided on this topic of building a modern marketing organisation of the future for this latest Disrupt Forum. We chose the, the topic of building the modern marketing organization of the future really as a response to kind of one of our core beliefs and something that we believe the industry um, also buys into. And, and, and that's really that, that business buyers are changing the buying process faster than marketing organizations and sales organizations can, can change themselves. And what we mean by that, to give you a few examples, uh, you know, customer behaviors in the consumer world um, have, have changed quite drastically. Um, and those behaviors have found their way across into uh, not just the, the purchasing of low value business technology, but, but even some of the most complex enterprise sales. And you couple that with you know, the digital buying behaviors that we have as, as, as individuals adding complexity in there. And, and on top of that, you know, cloud technologies, especially in, in the technology sector, has completely changed the, uh, the the way that we're able to sell uh, to, to our audiences you know that they're, they're, they're able to, to, to purchase online whereas before you know there would be an aspect of of a deal where 
you know, you'd have to talk to the what we call the traditional salesman. Now, of course, in, in enterprise sales, there, there's always going to be a place for that. But cloud technologies has has given us the opportunity, and, and we work with some of the, the largest tech brands out there that have previously focused in the, the enterprise space. And they're now completely transacting through digital practices and, and selling online to, to a much very different audience to what they would target before into the SMB space, into startups. And that's a really exciting place to be. But, but what it does do is it provides a completely different challenge to, to one that we faced in, in B2B technology marketing today. And that's the reason really for the, for the topic that we're focusing on here is trying to, to, to provide marketing leaders with some knowledge, uh, some understanding, share best practices in what, what other technology organizations are doing to respond to this change and to effectively sell their technology in today's world. So taking that all into account, do you not think that current marketing teams are set up you know, to respond to all that then? It's an interesting thing. I think speed of change um, is something that, that is catching everyone out and, and speed of change, especially around the buyer behaviors that we've just talked about there. And I think what we're focused on in, in this next Disrupt Forum is around culture and notoriously, that's also difficult to shift, um, especially when processes underpin that culture. So, you know, I think what we're moving to now from a marketing perspective is, is the expectation to be able to respond in real time. But to, to, keep up with, to keep up with that change is very, very difficult. So we need to look at actually changing our approach to change in order to keep up with it. So what I mean by that is, how can we be, be agile and, and think about change as a constant rather than a response? And again, going back to, to the purpose of these meets, it's, it's really to think about change as a constant and, and, and understand how we can keep up um, step by step with the way that customer behaviors are changing in B2B marketing. One, one other aspect of that is, is focused around the innovation budget you know, and, and keeping up with change is something that I, I believe more innovation budget needs to be put into piloting techniques in small doses, thinking about fail, fail fast, but, but succeed quickly. And, and what that gives us the ability to do is to, to prove results to the business and then change becomes a priority because the business looks upon that the changes as, as, as beneficial to the rest of the business and therefore start to invest in it. So how well do you think the, the tech industry is changing as, as a whole in terms of the, the actual marketing mindset? So in terms of the marketing mindset, I think within the marketing organization, um, I believe it's it's changed, and I I would probably say that actually marketing are getting held back by the rest of the business. Now the one saviour to that is around the focus on customer centricity, and 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 that's widely accepted and embraced within the rest of the business that that we live in a customer centric world, and that that's great because it, it puts marketing in the right place to drive change. Marketing a are able to to enable that change to happen, but I still think there's a lot lot more that needs to be done in in order for marketing to truly transform. Now, there's a difference between understanding how to change um, and 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 actually seeing that change in effect. And I think what, one of the areas where we need to see change in the rest of the business is around me measurement, around remuneration within marketing. Uh, and I don't mean that we're we're going to change the way that we're ultimately ultimately measured. You know, trials, opportunities, deals, demos, revenue, will always remain the same. But everything that I've just talked about 
up until this point leads us to the idea that the way that we influence prospects to the point of being ready to transact, being, being ready to have a conversation with sales or close out um, an opportunity means that we need to think differently um, about the way that we measure marketing um, because we live in a world of influence that we can't measure as, as effectively as we used to if we want to succeed in that environment. So in order to change, to respond to the, the modern buyer, I think that we need to look at the cultures we have with inside the organization, but the, the processes and the measurement that sits behind that culture needs to fundamentally change. Right. We're well, just picking up on, on that, and you, you, you're talking about culture there. You run these disrupt forums in San Francisco and Singapore as well, which is where, where you are at the moment, obviously, um, as well as in London. Do you see any differences culturally across those regions when it when it comes to the areas that you're discussing with, with respect to marketing? Yeah, and it's, that, that's a really interesting question. And, and I'll refer back to the concept around failing fast um, to draw upon some experience that I've seen certainly um, in San Francisco and, and broadly out into North America. And one of the differences that we see there is that they are a lot more receptive to pioneering new concepts, to, to piloting new ways to engage their audience. Um, and there's a lot less resistance from the rest of the business because the, the theory of failing fast is widely embraced, certainly within San Francisco and, and the Silicon Valley and, and broadly out into North America. And I think bigger budgets also help um, so we so we see in North America that that there is this uh, more acceptance w widely across the business to do something different. I think whereas in Asia and they've been mobile first for a long time, they've built their their marketing teams uh, and, and their skill sets around that principle. But in the same token, you know their budgets are smaller and they 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 have a tendency to then stick with the success that they've seen in traditional forms of marketing as there's less risk there. Mm. Um, so so those, those are the two kind of polar opposites in a way. And, and then I think you look at, at EMEA and the experience that we have there and the conversations that we're having, I would say they're pretty much bang in between that. So finally then, where, where do you see the biggest gaps from the clients that you're working with in this whole area? Um, I think there's, a, there's probably a couple of points to, to summarize and it just goes back to um, some of the areas that we've covered already. And I, I think one of the biggest gaps is is not necessarily the marketing mindset um, and neither is it the the skills that sit within the marketing organization um, but but it's but it's that measurement piece um, and the way that the culture of the organization um, is set up um, and and how it restricts the, the the ways that that we're able to execute marketing and the ways the ways that we measure influence um, through that pipeline on the way to to achieving um, what we would classify as a core lead or a sales qualified lead, but ultimately an, an opportunity for sales to engage. Uh, and the second, the second aspect of that, and, and, and quite interesting uh, from the research that we've done through these um, disrupt forums to marketing leaders, is, is actually they believe that the biggest gap in their teams is, is not around the digital skills that they have, but is actually the strategic minds that they have with inside um, their marketing organization. And, and by that, I, I believe that the gap is understanding how to build out programs and engage buyers in a way that will, that will deliver revenue as opposed to um, execute within marketing automation systems or execute paid social campaigns or, or execute analytics or, or execute analytics platforms, but, but more so understanding how all of that joins together to achieve the ultimate goal, which is revenue. 
That was Matt Stevens, uh, MOI's MD. But joining me now for the final interview of this show is Julia Porter, who is an independent marketing consultant, but also a board director and, in fact, ex-chair of the Direct Marketing Association, or DMA, as it's uh, more widely known these days. And it's also a warm welcome back for his third appearance uh, on the series to Joel Harrison, editor-in-chief at B2B Marketing. Now, Julia, we've heard from three in-house practitioners in the podcast. Uh, you've come from in-house yourself at organizations such as ITV and The Guardian, um, but now as an ex consultant and non-exec when you go in and work with your clients what are the key areas that you're asking them to focus on when working towards developing a marketing-led organization I think some of them are traditional things that we've always asked people to worry about and then some of the other things are really about how you leverage data and digital so first of all is making sure that the organization is very focused or the marketing organization is very focused on business goals. And I think now it's much easier to measure performance against business goals than it's ever been in the past. The second thing is to not get too wrapped up in the complexity of the technology and lose sight of the customer. So the second point is really to make sure that everyone has got a complete focus on the customer experience, but also actually understands who their customers are. Okay. And Joe, obviously you get to see things from outside the organizations as well through reporting on them all. Are there any trends that you spot in how organizations structure their marketing teams? Well, I think increasingly we're seeing a trend towards agility in terms of marketing team structure. Um, you know, the, 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 no, the notion of uh, the old days where people had very fixed resources, very fixed teams, uh, very set timelines, everyone knew what they were doing, it was all preordained, preplanned, and then del- and then delivered to a schedule increasingly just no longer is the case. So people are having to plan for agility. That means both in terms of flexibility of teams, you know, there is a there is a and, and also co-sourcing with agencies working with more flexibility with external suppliers uh, being more pragmatic around these things agile, agile is a very very rigid methodology that comes from the software industry but i think in most broad terms we're seeing as a general notion being increasingly being adopted across the piece and, and companies understanding the need to pivot and be responsive to situations rather than uh, and, and 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 flex around those things rather than necessarily having everything preordained Julia, just coming back to something that, that you mentioned, you, you touched on data um, before. One, one of the challenges I would suggest marketers have now is that there is so much data available to them. How, how do they keep on top of it? Well, I think the first thing is to not be overwhelmed by it, but actually to be really clear about what outcomes you're trying to deliver. I mean, in the end, there's a blizzard of opportunities. It's hugely complex. And if you think about what your goals are and what you're trying to do with your business, then you've got a better idea of understanding how to use that data But, you know, to Joel's point, you've got to be agile and you've got to think flexibly about how you can use it as well. So you can't have a fixed, rigid view of the world. It's got to be something that helps you make decisions every step of the way. You know, it's fine for large organisations. What about smaller businesses who don't have access to number crunches in-house, maybe? (laughs) Well, I mean, there's loads of tools. I mean, HubSpot is one example. There's many others that I'm sure Joel will come up with. But there's lots and lots of tools that they can use to think about leads, the quality of the leads, lead scoring, all of that kind of stuff. So it shouldn't be a reason for anyone to not use data. Absolutely. As Julia says, there's so much technology, so many tools. There's something for everyone's budget, everyone's necessary needs and and, and to match everyone's levels. Uh, I think increasingly, though, marketing has to uh, adopt data savvy and data uh, friendliness and data ability as a core competency. I think increasingly in the past, it's been too easy for marketers to go, that's not my problem. Mm. Increasingly it is, and they have to build that in. In the long run, I think we'll see, um, and this is probably jumping ahead in the conversation, but you know, this, this stuff might get taken over by AI, so that will, that will find it a lot easier to do in the long run. But in the short term, you've got to find a way around this because it's not something that you can ignore and pretend will go away because it won't. 
Okay, so let's let's go with that um, topic on AI then. What what are you thinking there, Joel? Well, I think AI, the, as I understand it, AI, what's, what it's going to do is to very quickly replace some of the more volume-orientated predictable tasks. And data is a classic example of that. It's something which data crunching is something which human beings need a particular mindset and a skill to do at, at scale, particularly around big data. So AI will be able to do those things quite quickly and easily. But it is something which people are scared of. And I think that it should be important to say, without diverging too much from the core topic, that it's not, it shouldn't be a, a topic for concern. There's some fascinating applications out there that will do really that will open up new opportunities we haven't even thought of before. It allow I mean there's a great tool I've seen recently which allows you to process content, audit it and value it and then design your next bit of content, do it instantaneously in a way that human beings could never do. So these are things which are really coming down the track for marketers and the and an AI is going to open lots of doors as well as being causing people some concerns. Well, just to echo that, I mean, it's going to, to to take away all of those repetitive tasks and give you plenty of time to be the creative person you really want to be. So actually, it should open up lots of opportunities for creativity. Having said that, I still think that marketers can't run away from the data. They've still got to understand it. and They've still got to sort of leverage it and use it to for their business and not ignore it yeah. well, well let's let's bring that back then in terms of the, the topics and we've, we've touched on this with the other guys that we've, we've spoken to earlier in terms of the kind of people that you are looking for so you talked about creativity you've talked talked about data and you know and analytics and, and number crunches what what kind of person would you be looking for if you're looking to build or add to a team julia well it's it's really interesting actually i mean the the, the fact of the matter is there's a huge shortage of talented people to be able to do the jobs we need them to do so to an extent, you've got to take a mixture of things. One is people who might have some skills, but you're looking for leadership skills, you're looking for some functional skills, some specialist skills, and also, I think, an aptitude for managing data or at least leveraging data for your business. But personal skills are going to become really important. So you want curious people, creative people, you know, uh, people who can who are can-do, as self-starters, they're collaborative, and they're comfortable with complexity. Because in the end they're going to have to learn as they go and build a portfolio of skills because actually the skills they've got now may not necessarily be the skills that are needed in five or ten years time. Yeah, I think Julia's uh, said it really roundly. There's so there's so much absolutely that I can echo from that. Um, the curiosity thing is absolutely 100% really, really important. One of the things which is not a new skill, which is something that people always, always, always forget is actual business aptitude, mm-hmm. understanding of the bigger picture for the organization. And they don't get that. Um, but the, we did some research very recently about how, you know, for B2B marketers, how they really uh, build their careers and how they, and how they, you know the ones who is going to be successful and why and increasingly it's the ones who actually plan their careers who actually look at create milestones set objectives don't just meander through things and and, and let happenstance take over happenstance is great but actually you've got to plan and work out where you want to be and, and how you're going to get there um julia i wanted to ask you some about some of the work you're doing with the dma because by its very nature it's obviously going to be data driven too but i wondered how much the focus has changed over the six years that you've been involved it's changed enormously, actually. Um, two major things have happened. First of all, um, the DMA used to be the organisation that defended its suppliers, mostly the mailing houses. And in fact, what we've moved to now is a world where we're promoting um, responsible marketing and in particular, ensuring that marketers are open and transparent with their customers. So we rewrote the code of practice. It used to be a 100-page rule book. It's now a sort of five-page principles-based, outcomes-based code so that it's really clear how you should treat your customers with respect. But the second thing that happened is that we merged with the IDM, the Institute of uh, Digital and Data Direct Marketing, um, two years ago. And training is going to become such a key and central part of the future of marketing. And what the IDM does is provides all sorts of courses from kind of diplomas right through to individual programs. 
Um, because those people that we talked about before will need to skill up. They'll need to add skills to their portfolio. So the DMA is very sort of central to all of this new world marketing and how we're going to leverage data. That's interesting, actually, on, on the training side, because that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which was about how you keep the talent, you know, once you've found them. What, what, what do you think to that? Well, I think um, giving people the pathway to success, you know, allowing, keeping open doors for them, invest, demonstrably investing in their future, giving them access to different stakeholders and B2B companies is really, really important and showing them where they fit in. All those things along the line are, are really critical. You, you know, you, you've got to, it, it's an investment, isn't it, in your in these people who are going to be the future of your organisation and you've got to allow them to, to, to kind of invest back as well. But do companies give enough, you know, for, for the training or, or do you find sometimes that some people have to go and get their own training? You know, there's a balance, isn't there? Uh, yeah, I, th I think that. I mean, it's interesting that that um, there there are there's a mixture of that of those things. I think that actually a lot of companies are getting better at, at training people and recognising that. But I think also as a marketer yourself, you have to push for it because if you don't push, you won't. You generally won't get. Um, you have to be a bit ambitious sometimes, you know, and, and try and, and try and work out what your next move is going to be and what what skill sets are missing from your arsenal. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Actually, I mean, I I thought of four things. Well, you know, first of all, is try to recruit well, obviously, but then. Once someone's in there, you'll, you'll have a combination of training and development and mentoring because the fact of the matter is the organisation will never be able to afford all the training that an individual wants. So you're going to have to balance it out. Mm. Um, and actually, I think if you give people opportunities and you empower them and you, you give them projects to do, then they feel quite motivated. And I think this, this cohort of young people have a very different view of work to my cohort or my generation. So I think actually working on developing people and helping them um, develop their own skills themselves is really important. Okay, um, let's bring us back to the uh, the topic of tonight's uh, Disrupt Forum and I've asked this of all my uh, guests this evening. What's the one bit of advice to give uh, to someone looking to transform their business into a modern marketing organisation? Joel, let's uh, start with you. As a marketing leader or as an individual within that team? Well, let's, get, let's give both. <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> well, I think as a as a marketer in the trenches, as it were, I think um, you know uh, Julie would use the word um, earlier on, which is absolutely hitting the nail on the head. Is curiosity is absolutely fundamental to, um, uh, to 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 basically succeeding in this world. It's changing so fast. There's so much going on. What 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 marketing looks like today isn't going to be what it looks like tomorrow. So that's from a marketing practitioner's point of view from a leader's point of view. Um, I, th I think uh, investing in, in nurturing people. I think I think taking the time. To, to, to develop your team um, and, to, and to understand what's going to inspire them and, and grow them is, is, is critical. So, you know, it's not so much what you, what you achieve, it's what you achieve through your team members. Okay, Julia, you get the final word on the podcast. Um, so I think it's important that the marketing leader is incredibly close to the CEO and the finance director, largely because they need to be doing marketing activities that help the business grow and develop. And I think actually if uh, individual teams um, can see that they're helping the business grow, then they'll feel very motivated by that. Excellent. Uh, Joel Harrison and Julia Porter, thanks for joining the show. Um, in fact, thanks to all my guests today. So Lorraine Graves, Gemma Davis, Scott Allen, and of course, Joel and Julia. Thanks also to the team at MOI for sponsoring this episode and inviting me along to their Disrupt Forum. And as we heard from uh, Matt Stevens earlier in the show, Disrupt is a regular series of dinner discussions that MOI run where you can discover the trends, techniques, and ideas driving B2B marketing success in a disruptive world. And uh, you can find out more details about these events and of course, more about what MOI do for their clients at their website, which is MOI 
ROI-global.com. Uh, that's it for this episode, but don't forget you can listen to all previous shows in the series at csuitepodcast.com. Plus, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and TuneIn by simply searching for the C-Suite Podcast. And if you're on iTunes, please do give us a positive rating and review because that helps us up the business charts. You can also join the discussion around the show on our Facebook and Twitter groups, which are linked from the website. And finally, if you want to get involved in the shows in any way, you can contact me on Twitter using at Ross Goldsmith or use the contact form at csuitepodcast.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye.